Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, this challenge to Moses, who made thee, was really a rejection of his authority. The challenger of Moses asked this question, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? It was the authority of Moses that was being challenged. This was not the first time, or sorry, this was the first time, but this is not the last time when the authority of Moses is going to be challenged. Challenging the authority of Moses was going to be a sad, unfortunate, recurring event on the part of the Jewish people. For example, there will come a time, as we'll see, when Moses will marry a black Ethiopian woman. And when he did that, his authority was challenged, and that's given to us in Numbers chapter 12, verses one through 10, and here's how it reads, and and we'll see that the actual people who challenged his authority was his own sister and his brother. They were very offended that he had married a black woman, it says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. They both came forth, and he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and in the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, behold, she was leprous. So in this particular case, We see even his own sister, Miriam, and his own brother, Aaron, they were the challengers of Moses' authority because they were prejudiced against black people, and they could not accept that their own brother, Moses, had married a black woman. And it appears that Miriam, Moses' sister, she was the most outspoken. It appears she was the the most outspoken against Moses for marrying the black woman. 
and that God, in essence, said to Miriam, Miriam, he was, God was so angry. Miriam, in essence, was saying, here, Miriam, you like white? I'll make you white. You can be white with leprosy. It was an anger of God. In the same way, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ was continually challenged. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, we read this. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Does that sound familiar? Just like they said to Moses, like that man said to Moses, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you will tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. So here were the religious leaders. They were the religious leaders who challenged the Lord Jesus Christ. They could not deny the wonderful miracles, the works, the teaching that he was doing. So the only thing they could do was to challenge or question his authority. By what authority he did it? They claimed later that he was doing those miracles by the power of the devil. Now, this person who challenged Moses was challenging Moses as a prince. It was known that Moses was a prince in Egypt. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That made him a prince, so he's a prince. But with scorn, this Jewish person was saying, you might be a prince over the Egyptian people, but you're no prince over us. That's what he meant when he said, who may be a prince and a judge over us. He was saying, Pharaoh's daughter may have made you a prince over the Egyptian people, but who made you a prince and a judge over the Jewish people? That is quite a welcome for the greatest deliverer that the Jewish people ever had from Moses. And it reminds us of the announcement that God the Father made at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He made that announcement in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, where the Lord said, for where it was said, really, it's Israel speaking, and it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So who made the Lord Jesus Christ a prince and a judge over all? God did with this verse in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, where he introduced the Lord Jesus Christ, not just as the child that was born, but the son that was given, God the son. Not just the one who would be called the son of man, but the one who would be called the mighty God, the everlasting father. Not just a prince, but a prince of peace. Not just a king 
to sit on the throne of David for a limited time as other kings had, but a king whose increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Not just a king with a temporary kingdom, but a king with his kingdom to order to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, no end. And when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he said in John 9, 39, and Jesus said, for judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. When he came into the world, he saw those who saw in part who he was because they believed, and they wanted to see who he was, and he opened their eyes. Those which see not, he caused to see. He opened their eyes so that they could see what they didn't see, see him more, recognize him more for his deity and his, his glory. And he saw those who would also not believe and who had made themselves blind to any amount of light about him as to who he is, and he made it so that they could not see who he was. In fact, it was at his trial when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about his authority. That's when the leaders condemned him. In Matthew 26, 64, it says, Jesus saith unto them, thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest ran his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, he's guilty of death. Now, verse 14 in Exodus 2, 14. And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? And then he went on to say, intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? This accusation of Moses, against Moses, of wanting to kill the Jewish people. This was the first time that Moses was accused of wanting to kill the Jewish people, and it became a pattern where the Jewish people would blame Moses, sadly, unfortunately, a number on a number of occasions for wanting to kill the Jewish people. When the Jewish people were at the edge of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was approaching them and they were thinking, we are about to be annihilated and slaughtered by Pharaoh's army. We're right in front of the Red Sea. They accused Moses of wanting to kill them. They said in Exodus 14, 11 through 12, and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hadst thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. When they said that, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? They were recounting, we didn't know, but they were recounting to Moses that they evidently had said this to them, you're trying to take us out into the wilderness to kill us. It's better we serve the Egyptians. You're trying to kill us. And every time they accused Moses of wanting to kill them. Who, what were they really doing? They were accusing God, the sender of Moses, of wanting to kill them. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ made it very, very clear that he came not to kill, not to destroy life, but to save life. That's what he said in John 3, 17. 
when he said, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He went on in Luke 9:56, and he said, for the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then we come in Exodus 2 to verses 14 through 15, where it says, and he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us, intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptians? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Verse 15, now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, from these statements where it says that Moses feared and then Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh who had just learned that he had killed the Egyptian and Pharaoh was trying to kill Moses, we see something very, very interesting and very revealing about God. When Moses, again, when Moses heard that it was well known that he'd killed this Egyptian, Moses was afraid for his life. And sure enough, when Pharaoh heard that Moses had killed the Egyptian, Pharaoh did try to kill Moses, and Moses fled out of Egypt. So these verses are saying clearly that Moses feared Pharaoh, and he fled from Egypt for his life. Now, if you turn to this other important passage that we've been studying with this, Hebrews 11.27, if you turn to Hebrews 11.27, we read, speaking about Moses in Egypt, by faith he, that's referring to Moses, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him that is invisible. So this verse in Hebrews eleven twenty seven says clearly about Moses, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now wait a minute, I don't get it. This verse in Hebrews tells us clearly that by faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and yet the verses that we're studying here in Exodus tell us clearly that Moses fled Egypt fearing the wrath of the king. So how can this be? How can we have Exodus 14 telling us clearly that Moses left Egypt fearing the wrath of Pharaoh, and then in Hebrews 11:27 it says that Moses left Egypt not fearing the wrath of Pharaoh. Now, the answer to this question comes as we must remember that what we are reading about here in Exodus 2 was the first of two times when Moses left Egypt. This was the first of the two times when Moses left Egypt. So from the point that we are at in Exodus 2, 14, there's gonna be 40 years that are yet to come, then Moses is gonna return to Egypt, and he's gonna take the Jewish people out of Egypt, and then Moses is going to leave Egypt for the second time. And that second time, when Moses will leave Egypt, is recorded for us in Exodus 12, 30-31, where he stands before Pharaoh, it says this, Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called from Moses and Aaron by night, and said, rise up, get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. That was the day when Moses boldly stood before Pharaoh 
and Moses led all of the Jewish people out of Egypt. That was the second time. That was the second time when Moses left Egypt. That was the time that Hebrews 11.27 is referring to when it says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So here's the question. Why does the word of God tell us explicitly in Exodus 2 that Moses fled Egypt in fear of Pharaoh? which refers, of course, to the first time. And then in Hebrews 11, looking back over the life of Moses, it says Moses fled Egypt, not in fear of the king. Well, that's referring, obviously, to the second time. Why does, but here's the question. Why does the Bible make a point of saying that Moses was afraid of the king when he fled Egypt, that's the first time, and then it goes on to characterize Moses' great achievements of his life when it says in Hebrews 11, looking back over his life, Moses was not afraid, he wasn't afraid of the king, referring to the second time. It shows us something wonderful, something very important about God. When God looked over the panorama of Moses' life in Hebrews 11, God chose to just disregard when Moses fled Egypt in fear of the king, and instead, God chose to honor Moses for when Moses fled Egypt, not fearing the king. God did that because God is for Moses, and God wants to disregard Moses' failures and concentrate on Moses' victories. That's the same way that God deals with us. God is for us. Our lives are full of failures and things that we're ashamed of and things that we don't want to remember. And God knows about all those things, just like God knew about when Moses did run out of Egypt for his life afraid of the king. But God is for us like God is for Moses. And that's why he came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to deliver us from our sins, to make our sins not be remembered anymore in God's mind, to make our so that God would be able to take our sins and cast them into the deepest sea, put them behind his back, and remember our sins no more. Because the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, God can now disregard our sins and our failures and focus on our victories and not on our failures. That's clearly seen when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his followers as he was getting close to the cross, and in Luke 22, 28 to 34, he has a little discussion, a little talk with his followers, and he says this, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. See, in this passage, the Lord Jesus took the time 
to look over, like God was looking over the life of Moses. And as he looks over his disciples, he says to them, you are the ones, you are the very ones that have continued with me in my temptations. He told them that, he told them that, that they were the ones that continued in loyalty through his temptations. He was going to, he said, because you've continued with me in loyalty, I'm going to reward you with the place of great, great responsibility. Now, as we've, we've read this passage, we know that he next focuses on Peter. He says that Peter was part of the disciples, so he said that to Peter. But then Peter goes on and says, Peter stands up as he says, Lord, I'll remain loyal to you to prison or even to death. And the Lord knew what was going to happen to Peter. And the Lord said to Peter, Peter, during the time of my greatest temptation, you will be so disloyal to me that you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. Now, the point is that the Lord knew that Peter was going to not continue in the temptation of his trial there at the Sanhedrin. And he told Peter how he was going to deny him three times under pressure. But still, even though that was in the mind of the Lord Jesus, with that in his view, he looked at Peter as he looked at all the disciples and he said to them, I'm identifying you, I'm characterizing you as they that have continued with me in my temptations. Why did he do that? Because of Romans 8.31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The beautiful words within that verse are, God be for us. God is for us. He's not against us, he's for us. He wants us to succeed. He chooses to see the best in us. He disregards, he chooses to disregard our failures. Look at how God referred to David. David, you think of David, the sins are unbelievable with David. He had the sin of murder of Uriah, a good man and then adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. It's spoken to us, and when God looks back over it, here's how he refers to that, 1 Kings 15, 5. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite? a treacherous adultery with the wife of Uriah and a treacherous murder of Uriah, and God calls that only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite? Why? Because God was for David. God was for David, and David had confessed those sins in Psalm 51, and God punished David for those sins, and now God is not holding those sins against David, and that's the way he deals with us. Those sins were under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great sacrifice. So those sins became only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. That's exactly how God views us, who've come to trust in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins. All of our sins have been 100% paid for by the Lord Jesus. And now as terrible as those sins were, they have become, as far as God is concerned, filed under the category of only in the matters of. God chooses to see the victories and not our failures. 
the Lord will never hold our sins against us. So God chose to only see the time when Moses, according to Hebrews eleven twenty seven, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 